In the 19th century, it was said that Unitarianism was about three things, the fatherhood of God, the brotherhood of man, and the neighborhood of Boston. Since then, as Unitarian Universalism has combined and expanded, the D.C. metro area is actually one of the places, the largest place outside of Boston that has the heaviest, densest concentration of Unitarian Universalism and is also a place where UUism is particularly healthy, vibrant, and thriving. And part of what that means is that we have neighboring congregations that we can draw from. And I'm pleased to introduce you today to Mark Ewart, who's our special guest uh, this morning and will be offering the sermon he has been and the chair of the board of trustees at uh, All Souls Unitarian in Washington, D.C. If you're ever in D.C. on a Sunday morning, I strongly encourage you to visit that congregation. Mark started attending there around 2001 and has seen that congregation grow from, at that time, around 400-something members to more than 1,200 members uh, in that time period. He's, uh, in the last few years, been a consultant for UU congregations for more than 30 UU congregations, so he's seen a lot of how UU congregations are and their diversity and how they grow. So I'm grateful, Mark, for your um, willingness to be here and share some of your dream for our world and for Unitarian Universalism. Thank you. Good morning. There's a joke where a concerned Unitarian Universalist confides in a friend and says, I've I've got someone I want to invite to come to a Sunday service, but I'm a little worried about it because our minister uses the J word so much. And the other person says, well, our minister almost never says Jesus. And the person says, well, I'm not talking about Jesus. Our minister says justice all the time. Well, I'm going to talk this morning about justice with you all, so I hope if you brought a friend, they're not too uncomfortable. First of all, I want to thank you all for honoring me by allowing me to speak from this pulpit, particularly during a time when you're considering your financial commitments to the congregation in the coming year. To me, this is a moment for aligning our resources with our values, beliefs, and loves, and a time when we can consider how we're living out our seven UU principles with our finances to create a beloved community and spread justice in the world. I believe a meaningful transportation, sorry, I I believe a meaningful transformation is happening in UU congregations right now, congregations like this one. This transformation can potentially change all of our lives, can certainly change the congregation, the communities that surround us, as well as the larger world particularly at this time when racism and money are tearing apart the social fabric of America. The change, has to do with how, the change has to do with how we are together with each other, how we welcome and embrace people who have differences of all types, how we are building what Dr. Martin Luther King calls the beloved community, and how we share our resources towards the common good. Let me start by telling you a little bit about Amy Lee. Amy Lee is an Asian-American young adult. Her parents were, were, she was born in mainland China, and her parents were political dissidents there. As a matter of fact, they carried the tiny baby Amy Lee in their arms when they participated 
in the 1989 Tiananmen Square protests. If you'll remember, that was very dangerous. It's hard to know how many were killed in that protest because the reporting was so poor. But it was certainly a dangerous thing to be doing. Her parents um, were social activists. They were social dissidents, as a matter of fact. Amy Lee is not her real name. Through a series of interviews that I did with her, she was very frank and revealing. So I'm respecting her privacy by disguising her identity. If you're interested in hearing more about her, there's more in my book, The Generosity Path. As you can already tell, Amy Lee's parents were so oriented towards social justice, they taught that to Amy Lee and her siblings so that now she identifies her primary orientation as one towards social justice. Her family was atheist, and even after coming to the United States, Um, they never joined a church or any kind of congregation and never contributed to one. But I know Amy Lee because now she's a Unitarian Universalist. She found her congregation through a social justice program that occurred in the building, and it was pretty much incidental to her that she was participating in a social justice program in one part of the building, and the sanctuary and worship happened in another It was only after a period of time that she found Sunday worship service and started attending. At this point, she's a a full member of that community. Let me tell you a little bit about what she says about social justice work and being part of a Unitarian Universalist congregation. She says, I feel more sustained in that social justice work because I make the connection between what I'm doing and why I'm doing it, because there's an underlying spiritual basis in the congregation. She says that her congregation, her religion, is a source of great spiritual sustenance for her and for other people who are doing things that are politically necessary and brave. She also talked to me about how her understanding of money has changed since she started in the the UU congregation But let me come back to that in a little bit. This intersection of social justice, Unitarian Universalist community, and financial resources is where I believe this congregation can make a real difference. Especially since our systems in America are now now not working to recognize the inherent worth and dignity in every person. National political systems are not building the the beloved community, and the current presidential campaign is certainly not helping with that. But you are here at the UU Congregation of Frederick. Justice and money are intimately tied together. I'm sure I don't need to educate you about economic disparity in in the United States or about how social mobility in the U.S. ranks below many developed countries and seems to be getting worse. Also, about how people of color as a demographic group are more strongly affected by these factors than people who look like me. We can change that, though, and we can start here and serve as a model to the rest of the community of beloved community. Let us turn our thoughts to Martin Luther King Jr. 
we think of MLK as having been concerned chiefly with civil rights, with having led people of color and white allies to peaceful protests to demand the rights that were denied blacks, especially in the 20th century. Yet MLK had two main concerns, civil rights and poverty. You may not know this, but during the whole last period of his life, he was involved in an effort to gain economic justice for disadvantaged communities in the United States. It was called the Poor People's Campaign. King was assassinated in April of 1968, just a month before the Poor People's March on Washington that resulted in two weeks of protests that were led by his widow, Coretta Scott King, and the erection of a shanty town on the National Mall in Washington known as Resurrection City. Resurrection City housed thousands of people for six weeks, and some people in this room may actually have witnessed Resurrection City. Often Unitarian Universalists were very much involved at that time. The last public speech that Martin Luther King ever gave was in Memphis the very evening before he was shot and killed. It's called I've Been to the Mountaintop. You can find a recording, actually you can find a video of the speech on the web, and I would recommend it to you since I cannot imitate Martin Luther King's beautiful style of public speaking. In the speech, he calls upon people to stay together. He says, when the Pharaoh wanted to prolong the period of slavery in Egypt, he had a favorite, favorite formula for doing so. He kept the slaves fighting amongst themselves. But whenever the slaves got together, something happened in Pharaoh's court, and he could not hold the slaves in slavery. When slaves get together, that's the beginning of getting out of slavery. Now let us maintain unity, he said. MLK also calls upon people to join together with economic power as well. He said, individually we are poor and collectively we are rich. He talked about boycotting certain businesses that did not compensate black people fairly or treated them unjustly. And he also talked about using economic power to favor and support organizations that were just in their treatment of black people. In this way, Martin Luther King understood that money itself could be used as a tool of social justice. His speech has dark undertones because of the physical danger and violence that peaceful protesters were encountering. Like our own Unitarian Universalist minister, James Reeb, who was killed in Selma, and the death threats that MLK himself was getting regularly during this time and right before the speech. Reflecting on this, King talks about the parable of the Good Samaritan and how dangerous it was in that historical time to travel the particular route between Jerusalem and Jericho where that parable takes place. Yet he calls upon the audience to be brave. He says, the question is not, 
if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? The question is, if we don't stop to help, what will happen to them? He said, let us develop a dangerous unselfishness. Let us develop a dangerous unselfishness. Right now, let me bring us back for a few moments to present time and to Amy Lee. Because Amy Lee, just as I was interviewing her, was trying to figure out for herself the intersection of her justice orientation, her Unitarian Universalist beliefs and community, and her money. How do those pieces fit together and support each other? She and her partner were doing some financial planning as young adults, really for the first time as a couple, and they were trying to figure out what amount of charitable giving they should do, what was going to fit for their lives. She said, what kind of daily life do I want? What are my priorities? I could always live in a smaller home or a different neighborhood. What's reasonable for me to have for my own lifestyle versus what I'm giving? She said, I find those questions really hard to answer, as many of us may. It's not only a money equation. It's figuring out what is just. I can always live on less and spend less, but what's the right amount? Her Unitarian Universalist congregation helps her with that, she said. She said, it's a place to check in and make sure that my priorities are in order. It's a central place for me to think about how I give my time and my money and how others give their time and their money. She added, giving is not just like other spending, out of my pocket and off somewhere. Money becomes an active thing that you are using to make a difference. Money becomes an active thing that you're using to make a difference. She has also realized that money is a tool of social justice. And she gives generously to her congregation, she told me, for three reasons. One is for the benefit that she personally gains from being part of that community. The second is because she wants to fuel the organization, its great worship and programs, including its social justice work. And thirdly, because her Unitarian Universalist congregation teaches about how to use our financial resources to make a real difference in the world. And you may ask yourself, where else in America do people get taught to use their financial resources according to their values the way we do? Imagine a place for a moment where a person of color and a white person can feel that this is their spiritual home. It's not so hard to imagine here. See if you can imagine a place where a rich person and a poor person can each show up as themselves, be celebrated, and belong. Where they can sit side by side in the pew, or in your case, in chairs, and each feel that they're doing their part by making a contribution that's ambitious but fits their resources, where generosity is celebrated and not just deep pockets. You're on your way here at UU Frederick 
because your congregational pledging system is built beautifully for an economically diverse community. People contribute at all different levels, but collectively it works to help the congregation be financially vibrant. And in this place, no one gets better religious education, worship, or pastoral care, or has greater power because they have more money. In this way, here, money is not only a tool of social justice, but it also brings us together as community. This is a community of beloveds. That's what you're creating here at this congregation. I dream a world where no other man will scorn, where love will bless the earth and peace its paths adorn. I dream a world where all will know sweet freedom's way, where greed no longer saps the soul nor avarice blights the day. A world I dream where black or white, whatever race you be, will share the bounties of the earth and every man is free. Where wretchedness will hang its head and joy like a pearl attends the needs of all mankind. Of such I dream my world. Now, much has changed since the era of Langston Hughes and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and we can celebrate that. And yet our times look similar to their time in many ways. There is political unrest, crushing economic disparity, and systemic racism. The needs are great, and we cannot work alone to make change. We must follow MLK's advice to maintain solidarity and unity, across racial lines, and across the economic spectrum. We can use money itself to do that. We must develop a dangerous unselfishness, like the civil rights activists of the 60s and like Amy Lee's parents in China, risking our own comfort and security to support our neighbors. We must individually challenge ourselves to use our money according to our values as a tool of social justice, just as Amy Lee was doing. We must follow MLK's advice to use our collective economic power, withholding it from organizations that are violating people's rights and health and keeping them in poverty. And we must use our collective economic power to support organizations that fight racism and build the beloved community to embrace people of all races and all levels of economic power, like this one. If you want to support black lives, you can do that starting right here. I hope you will remember this when you're considering how generously to pledge to this congregation. As MLK said, collectively, we are rich. And here, your personal contributions do build an economic power to further justice, starting with this community and creating a transformation at the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Frederick, then growing it outward 
joining with others, and changing the world. So may it be, and amen. So we've been talking this morning about building beloved community, and the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. didn't just talk positively about this dream of building a beloved community. He also talked about the triple threats that keep us from building the beloved community, and that those three greatest threats to building the beloved community are materialism, militarism, and racism. And I want to give you just one final lens um, for thinking about what does that actually mean in our lives today. So from the Buddhist tradition talks about the three poisons. And this, these three poisons play out individually and they also play out systemically in our lives. And the three poisons are attachment, aversion, and delusion. And so when I think about attachment, that can be a way of thinking about what does that mean, materialism, as keeping us from building the beloved community? It means when we're just too attached to possessions and to money, as the saying goes, there's enough in the world for everyone's need, but not enough for everyone's greed. And the second being aversion, that aversion is very much related to that second triple threat of militarism. It's not saying we don't need the military, but what we don't need is an over-militarism, that, uh, and that has to do with aversion, of using our military in a way that we're just averse to our enemies. We see them as completely other and as completely disconnected from ourselves, and therefore we can treat them as less than human in the way that we use our military, that aversion. And that the third poison, attachment of Version and delusion is seeing the world in a false way keeps us from building the beloved community. And that very much, that Buddhist poison of delusion, very much relates to racism because we know definitively now with modern science that at the DNA level, we are 99.9 plus percent related. Every human being on the DNA level, racism is a delusion. As you've heard me say before, you'll heard this, hear this said in racial activist circles, that racism is real only to the extent that Wednesday is real. And it's a social construction in the same way that Wednesday is a social construction. But Wednesday is quite real in our lives. And then if you were to just get rid of Wednesday, that would take a lot of work. And that's in the same way that racism may be a delusion, but to dismantle racism and to dismantle our racist systems is going to take a lot of work to dismantle that delusion. So one final piece, though, is that Buddhism doesn't just talk about the uh, poisons that keep us from achieving what we want of attachment, aversion, and delusion. It also says, what are the antidotes to those poisons? And I think that, too, can point us toward how we can build the beloved community. And those three antidotes to, um, to the Buddhist poisons are generosity, interdependence, and um, wisdom. So that generosity is the, so instead of being attached in materialism, we need to practice generosity, and Mark has been talking about us this morning. Instead of aversion, instead of militarism, practicing interdependence. And even as we do sometimes engage militarily, still seeing the interdependence that we're part of this system that has led to this problem being in the first place, that it's not just the other, that the enemy that is the problem. And finally, that in overcoming delusion and overcoming things like racism that are built on delusion, we need wisdom. We need to see things as they really are. And that's where we say that here at UUCF and in the Unitarian Universalist movement generally, 
that we seek to draw wisdom from all the world's religions balanced with the insights of modern science. So with, with that in mind and with this call to turn these dreams into deeds of building the beloved community, as you go out from this place, continue your journey in love, in compassion, in kindness. Continue your journey, your journey with generosity, with seeing interdependence, with cultivating wisdom in your lives. Do justice and make peace. And as you go, whatever taste or touch you've had in this time and place of hope, of love, of peace or joy, that goes with you out into the world. We're different for having spent this time together. So live boldly and with thanksgiving. Go in peace.